My mother was a woman of tremendous integrity. My mother was curious, protective, unflappable, loyal, complicated, powerful, honest, lyrical. She is devoted, resilient, dazzling, giving, extraordinary. She had just unpacked all of her shirts, but hadn't remembered that. And that night we got back to our room and I cried ugly sobbing because I was like, this is, this is it. This is Our Mothers Ourselves, and I'm your host, Katie Hafner. Sarah Kuhn's mother, Lorraine, was a straight-up great mom. She also went through a terrible tragedy as a parent, and then when she was just 60, Lorraine was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's. In July, she'll be 71. That's the age Lorraine's own mother was when she died of the same disease. Lorraine's daughter, Sarah, is in her 30s now, and she's got three kids of her own. And she's in the same high-risk category for early-onset Alzheimer's as her mother and grandmother. Sarah is the founder of Juna, a nutrition and fitness app for moms who are expecting and moms who've moved beyond expectations to the real work of raising kids. She also hosts the Juna Women podcast. I talked to Sarah about her mother, about their wonderful relationship, and about their long goodbye. Sarah Kuhn, I would like to thank you so much for coming on to Our Mothers Ourselves to talk to me about your mom, Lorraine. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about her. You know, I've I've already warned the listeners there are happy moments to your story, very happy moments, but you're in the middle of something that's devastating. Yes. And before we get to what is clearly going to be just the, the hardest part to talk about, I'd like to ask you, if you had one word to describe your mother, what would that word be? Oh, um vivacious. <laughs> that would be the word I would use to describe her. Mm-hmm. Which comes from the root of it is is living. Yeah, which I think is the opposite of what she is doing now, which I think is what makes it so sad. So t- let's start with the, with the beginning of, of her life as you know it and go from there. So my mom was born in England and emigrated to Scotland, I think when she was seven or eight. And then they moved to the States in when she was maybe 10 in a like up suburb of, of New York City and, you know, grew up there and then didn't really leave. She had a brother who was two years older than her. And then she had a half brother who ended up staying in England with his dad. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's her early years. (laughs) And then we can fast forward to how she met your dad. Yes. So my mom was, she must've been, I don't know, 18, 19, 20. And she got a job at my dad's law office as a secretary. And my dad was just very taken with what a vibrant, he always described her as she was just this incredibly 
nice, kind, always had this giant smile on her face. And he was really taken with her. He was married at the time in not a very happy marriage, but with two young children. And I hate, you know, how that sounds, but, you know, it was, it was not a, not a happy situation. And I think my mom brought him a little bit of happiness and he ended up leaving his wife at the time and, and started a relationship with my mom. So So, he felt, he and your mom fell in love with each other while he was married and he left his wife for your mom? Yes. Did he have kids from that marriage? He did. He had two, two sons who were two and four, I think at the time, at the time that he had left them, they were two and four. Mm -hmm. So that was a really hard thing for my dad. And I think my mom too, I think my mom had always, you know, like she had known Jason and Mitch since they were, you know, one and three or, um, but, but she very much like viewed them as her children and didn't want children of her own. And I think like she always used to say to my dad, I don't, I think I, I'm like a little too selfish to have kids of my own. And my dad thought she was absolutely nuts. Cause as you'll hear, you know, as I describe her character, that is the exact opposite of, of the way she is. And it's kind of funny cause that's how I was too. And I always, gave myself a little grace because I was like, I, you know, my, I'm pretty sure my mom didn't want children either for a really long time. And so maybe this will change for me. <laughs> oh, wow. So that, yes, they went, that's tough. Uh, what she really thought was at the root of thinking she didn't want kids, but it sounds like she didn't clearly, obviously had you. Right. And <laughs> when did, so when did she have you? Yeah. So she asked, so I have, um, so they had my brother first, who was two years older than me, um, when she was 32. And they had me two years later when she was 34. And from what she says is she would have had more kids, but I uh, very much was... She really changed her mind. She really changed her mind. But I was apparently very strong-willed as a, as a kid, and I did not like her touching any other babies. I was very jealous. And she was like, yeah, you didn't... You really... You know, it made me nervous to think about bringing another kid into the world because you didn't want to share me. Oh, Which wow. tracks. <laughs> so how soon after she married your dad... Did he talk her into this thing that she wasn't even herself convinced of? I, I think it was maybe you know, six to 10 years. Oh, wow. Um, so they, they did spend a long time without kids, yes, without they, kids together. Exactly. Without kids together. They did. They spent a lot of time together. I think my dad was still building his law practice. He had two young kids. My mom was very much a part of their lives. Yes, she was a stepmom, but I think in her world, she you know definitely viewed herself as my dad's partner in, in helping raise them. And, and so, so they were very busy because, you know, like, as you know, having young kids, it's all consuming. And let's put you guys in a geographic location. Where, where was all this happening? Um, upstate New York, not really upstate. Like we grew up in Mayapak, which is a suburb of the city in Putnam County, which is one county north of Westchester for those that don't know Putnam County. Nice. That sounds like it was pretty idyllic. Yes, it was a wonderful, wonderful childhood. And so what 
as a mother, what would you say her biggest strength was in terms of being a mother to you? Yeah, I reflect on this a lot because I think about it in the context of my own mothering, but she did a really great job of balancing like friend and parent. And like, she just, she, she was the kind of mom that I like, I always wanted to be around and my friends always wanted to be at my house. And she like, like did a really good job of setting boundaries, like where she was the parent. I I had friends that like their mom would smoke cigarettes with them. And I, you know, like I also had friends that their moms just like offered terrible advice, very one-sided, like the parent was only looking at it from their own child's perspective. And I feel like my mom always offered another version or another view and which made me reflect on my own decisions and, and made me more well-rounded in how I made my choices. And I always just really appreciated that. Do you think that her mother had been a model for her? I don't know. I, you know, I wish I knew more about her mother's relationship with her. My mother's mother died of, not of Alzheimer's, but of Alzheimer's complications when she was very young. She was 71. And so she missed as much as my mom is missing of my life, which is like, you know, like I'm in my thirties and my mom was probably 40 when her mom started, um, You know, I feel talking to you like we're, you know, we're both watching a movie we've already seen and I'm trying to forestall when the car crash comes. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me about the family history of Alzheimer's in your family. Yes. So my my grandmother had Alzheimer's, was diagnosed. She died the year after my brother died and it's like vivid in my memory because I still remember when my brother died, my grandpa came and visited us and my mom, which is, this is very typical of my mom, apologizing to him for inconveniencing him that her son had died. And she Hold was like, on a minute. I, so your, your brother died, your, your older brother died. Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. So how old was he? What, what happened? He was, he was 12 and I was 10 and um he died in a like freak jet ski accident on the lake that we lived on oh my gosh yeah that's so yes so that's a you know like when i like that shaped a lot of the transition of like how how my parents parented as well and our relationship because now i'm their youngest and their only child left in the house but yeah, um, so like my my grandpa comes in, you know, to help and be supportive to his daughter and she's apologizing to him because she knows how crazy his life has been because his, you know, my grandmother had progressed really far down the line. You know, she didn't know who anyone was at that point. I think she was, she was in a home and, um, and it's just like that, that, but that was her nature. She was always thinking of other people and how she could be of help to other people. And did she know that she was at risk for getting Alzheimer's? Yes. You know, like we, we talked about it ad nauseum. Like we, uh, I would 
And I think like when we would talk about it, we talked about it as if, of course, there will be a cure for this when, when like you hit that age and, you know, like it was definitely something that she, you could tell was on her mind as it's on my mind all the time. And and I think in her mind, she probably did backwards math all the time, but I think any type of like memory thing, she would get nervous. You could see she'd get in her head like, oh, is this, is this finally happening? And I remember when it started to show up, I would, I would say something, which is like, not what you're supposed to do, but I'd be like, mom, you and I had this conversation. We literally had this conversation Mm -hmm. last week and that probably got in her head even more. Mm -hmm. But then I moved to Los Angeles to go to business school and she you know, was in the process of selling her business and which knowing now was the was the worst thing that she could have done because that was at least keeping her sharp because she was working every day. And the decline from when she stopped working in six months later was just so rapid. And, and also, you know, like I wasn't there. I wasn't living near her. I was across the country mm-hmm. and I was in business school and, you know, living mm-hmm. my life too. Let's back up just a yeah. little bit. Tell me um, a couple of things I wanted to go over before we go further ahead. One is you, you said she had her own business. So after your dad sold the law firm? Um, yes. So after my my mom was running his office for, I don't know, 30 years. And after he sold his law firm, she was like partially retired for maybe they moved down to Florida. And so she was retired for two or three years. And um, I think maybe it was three years. And then I moved to Florida and her and I both got our insurance brokerage licenses together. Let's let's do this mother-daughter thing together. Exactly. <laughs> and so she got her insurance uh, license and started a agency with two of her girlfriends. And so they were doing like homeowners insurance in Florida. And then they were selling that business. And that was right when her decline started to really increase. Can you explain the the genetics to me? Yes. So there is a, the APOE gene you can get from, um, you can have one copy of it. You can have two copies of it. You can have no copies of it. She was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, which is in most cases when you have two copies of the APOE gene, just because you have these genes, it doesn't mean that this is inevitable for you. Like think, thank God. But I think that's what we know now. That is not what my mom knew. It is not what I knew. And I think like I'm saying this out loud because I've had a tremendous amount of guilt because when I think about how much research I've done in the last year, because I've been thinking about myself, I'm like, why didn't I do this 10 years ago when when like my mom started to go in, de- in decline? But I have to remind myself that the information that we have accessible to us today is very different than what was accessible to us mm-hmm. 10 years ago. But what, where does the guilt come from? I don't get that. It's very easy to blame yourself with anything. And so I'm like, if I had done this research 15 years ago 
and, and said, hey, mom, you need to start doing high intensity exercise. You need to stop eating grains and gluten and you need to focus mm. on your sleep and you need to like, there's all of these things that you need to be able to do that can help stave off Alzheimer's. And I would have said, don't sell your business. You need to continue working because keeping your brain active and like ha- making sure that the neurons in your brain are continuously firing is so important. Like my husband says to me, like you'll never stop working because you can't stop working because this is important mm-hmm. for your brain. But she had been tested, so she knew she was carrying the genes. No, she was not tested. I actually don't think that they were readily testing people the way that they test now for it. Mm-hmm. So you, you had moved to L.A. to go to business school, and she, um, you could tell that she was repeating herself. I could tell there was something going on based on how often she called me because she was someone that I talked to on the phone, oftentimes two or three times a day. And over like a two year period, those calls got fewer and fewer. It was the only time we would talk is if I called her and it became clear that she just wasn't sure if she had talked to me already. And so she didn't want to bother me. In like in my in my mind, I'm like, you're not bothering me. Like I I call you with the most inane things that I'm just like gonna call you for, and you find me interesting, and I need someone to talk to, and no one like your mom to turn to. Exactly, so many, right? Yeah, or the big things, the little things, everything, just everything. Yeah. So so she stopped calling you that frequently, and then so you so that was the very first thing that kind of gave you a just a. A hunch that something was happening? Then she would tell me the same story frequently. And I brought it up to my dad. And my dad was like, well, you're just really hard to understand on the phone. And I'm like, maybe that's really? true. But like, I, I don't think so. I can't be that hard, especially when she like, you know, we'd had a whole conversation about it. Okay. So then did she tell you, did she confide in you or did she tell your dad too that she was worried about herself? Yes, I remember this conversation so vividly. Like I brought it up to her and I was walking underneath the tunnel at UCLA, like right in Westwood. And like, I was just like, mom, these are like, you need to, you need to be honest with yourself with where you're at. And like, and we need to start talking about it. But I actually don't remember if there was like a follow-up to that conversation. <laughs> um, but I remember it being like, okay, this is, we're acknowledging that that you're not feeling like you're firing on all cylinders. And it was that summer that my husband, my now husband, and I went to Israel with my family and their Chabad. And we get to Israel. My mom unpacks her bag in the room that we're in. And like about an hour later, she like has kind of like a meltdown because she's like, I've forgotten, I've forgotten all of my shirts. I have no shirts. Like it was this, just this whole thing. And my dad, you know, was like, you know, what's going on? I've never seen her like this. Like what's, and I like go into their bedroom and I'm like, well, let's just, let's look at, and like it turned out that she had just unpacked all of her shirts, but hadn't remembered that. And I remember the look on my dad's face And that night we all went out to dinner and I remember getting like really drunk because I was like, this is it. And I just was so sad. And I, 
am not a crier. And I cried. We got back to our room and I cried at my husband. <laughs> like just, And I say at my husband, not with my husband, because I literally was just ugly sobbing because I was like, this is, this is it. This is the decline for my mom. My mom, as we once knew her to be, this is no longer her. And how old was she? Um, she had just turned 60. So young. Yeah. Very, very, very young. I hadn't, I wasn't married yet. You know, like this was, and I just remember at that point thinking about, okay, this is, this is what it means for me. And I think at that point, when I like look at my life now, I think I've already grieved the loss of my mom, but no, I didn't like this, you know, I, I grieved the loss of my mom like when I was 27 years old and. Oh, so oh, you, you started grieving that night when you were crying in Israel. Yes. Like. Oh, geez, Louise. And your dad, what was, um, I think like that was his, his first acceptance of this is happening. I cannot bury my head in the sand anymore. This is very clearly happening. And he ended up putting long-term insurance in place, like long-term care insurance in place because, you know, we knew firsthand how expensive that gets. And then he took her to all of the right specialists. And, you know, she was diagnosed with early mild cognitive impairment, which is essentially like you're on your way to Alzheimer's. So then you you got married and you started to have your own kids. And did your kids, did did you take them to visit her? Yeah. So... I got married and I remember the day of my wedding, there was one thing that my mom was essentially responsible for. And that was getting my dogs to the hotel so that they could walk down the aisle. The whole day, she was like so stressed out about it. And she kept having me like write, write down exactly what to do. And I was just like, she like couldn't understand or problem solve. And like, you know, now looking back at it, I'm like, oh my God, this poor woman was like so stressed about this. And I had a very different expectations of your role in my wedding. And I'm very sad that, that we can't have that either. So how old were you when, when you got married and where did you get married? I got married in Palm Beach Gardens, which is where my parents live. And I was 29, about to be 30. Mm -hmm. And then Three months later, I got pregnant and it was an ectopic pregnancy, which like turned, it ruptured. And then I had emergency surgery and lost a tube. And when, you know, like, and when I was explaining this to my dad, you know, and my mom is obviously there, like, there's just like nothing, like not even the registry that like I was pregnant and I lost it, which is like that, you know, like there, there's just, there's just nothing. And like my dad, who's like not used to dealing with these kinds of things, because this was always my mom's domain is, was like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. And like, like, but that's, that was the, the level of support that I got from my parents because like, this was just not the normal role for my dad. And now like, you know, I will say the one blessing, if you want to call it that, is that like my relationship with my dad is so different now because he's had to, assume role of mom and dad. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like that, that had happened. And then, you know, another year and a half of infertility and other kind of traumatic stuff. And 
like the only person that I wanted to talk to about it was my mom and, and she couldn't even understand, let alone, you know, like, let alone, or she couldn't offer a lending, you know, like an, an ear or anything, let alone even comprehend what I was experiencing. And when you did yes. have your babies? So when I had my baby, my, my first baby, my parents came out and stayed with us for a week and she's met two of the three of our kids. And, mm. you know, like I have pictures of her holding my son, Luca, and, you know, at the various stages, I think from like zero to 18 months, but like the difference in her holding Luca when Luca was born to when Kylo was born, which was two and a half years later, she didn't know who we were. I remember her visiting us in California and my dad brought her nurse because traveling without her was just like not a not like there was no way he could do it. And my mom was getting very agitated by the noise in our house from like a newborn and having a two-year-old. And I remember just like being so sad that this was her experience because, you know, like there was no one in the world who loved kids and was the best grandma in the world to my brother's kids she would be horrified if she knew that this was how she was treating my kids. You know, she couldn't understand the noise and like, you know, knowing what I know about Alzheimer's is like, that's a, that's a scary thing. Like you just have no idea what's going on. And like, if you've been in the house with a two-year-old and a newborn, it's loud. (laughs) It's like Mm -hmm. a full on assault of the senses. And the last time that we were with my parents before my mom went into a home, I couldn't leave my kids around her because it had got, you know, it was just so agitating for her. So there you are in this horrible position of feeling like your kids could be unsafe with your own mother. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, I remember my mom in one of the discussions that we had about Alzheimer's, she was just like, this is not how I want to be remembered because she knew what, how those memories, I guess, replace the good memories. And I was like, of course not. No way. We'll only remember the person that you were. And, and now I know, now I know what she meant because it's been seven years of new memories of someone that's not her. And, you know, those are the recent ones and it's, it's easy to not, remember all of the good things. How do you hold on to the, to the good memories? You know, my brothers and I will, will tell stories about my mom and I have to bring up conversations, um, lessons that she had taught me, just even memory, like funny memories. Like I'll probably tell the same story about my mom a hundred times because it brings me a little bit of happiness. And, and especially now as I'm a parent and I like think about her parenting moments with me or like messages she was trying to hammer home. Like give um, me one example. Oh God, this is like, doesn't, this isn't the best light on her. But now as a parent, I'm like, I get it. I I, I had found, I was at a golf lesson and I had found change on the floor and I picked it up and I was like, oh, I've, you know, I found 35 cents or whatever. And this kid, Adam Santarelli, <laughs> <laughs> still remember this was like that's mine and I'm like no it wasn't you had no idea you like you didn't say you had lost change I just like found it and so he went and told the instructor that I stole money from him it and escalated my, escalated very quickly and my mom when she came and picked us up the instructor told her and my mom obviously made me give it to him and I was like okay and then she continued to like berate me for being a schnorrer which my dad is you know 
Jewish, which is Yiddish for basically being a beggar child. I mean, I don't even know what the lesson she was trying to teach me was, but it was basically like, don't take from someone else and I'm going to shame you into, into this. And I'm like, I, you know, she really did hammer that one home. I've, I've literally never picked up change on the ground since. So that was, that was the lesson learned was don't ever pick up change on the floor. I'm sure that wasn't what she was trying to teach me, but like, I, you know, like as a five, I was, I was literally five. And so that, that's what I remember. Oh, wow. Oh, so when, now you're in LA now and you said she's now in an assisted living or in a memory care unit in Florida. Where is she? And when's the last time you saw her? Yeah, she's been in a memory care unit in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, since 2000, like August of 2019. And um, I haven't seen her since October 2019 because I was there in October and then uh, the pandemic hit. And so my dad, who lives, you know, right around the corner and would go there daily, he wasn't allowed to see her for eight months. And you, you, you progress pretty quickly when you go into a memory care unit, period. The decline in the last year, like she, I mean, I, she didn't really know who my dad was when she went into the home. She knew that there was a familiarity but that's it. Like she had no idea who he was. Now there's like not even a flicker of recognition of who this person is. So that's where we are right now. I haven't seen her in oh, a year and a half. She has never met my most recent child, Levi, who's nine, oh, will be nine months soon. Yeah. And so the last time you saw her in October 2019, did she know who you were? No. Oh, Sarah. Yeah. Mm. So have you have you been tested for this? Yes. Disease? Yes. And so when I gave birth to my third son, I something about it like triggered something in me where I was like, I need like if I decline at the same time that my mom declined, my youngest son will not even be 18. And that is devastating. And so I need to know if I have this gene and I need to know and do whatever I can to prevent this from happening to me. And so I got tested in September of this year and I have two copies of it. And so the likelihood of having early onset Alzheimer's is very high for me. Um, and it's such an intractable disease. It is an ugly, ugly disease. And I, I, and, and the amount of people that are going to have it in the next 30 years mm -hmm. is just, it's insane. And yep, it's insane. You know, we are so much our mothers and our mothers are us. And it's so when you, when your kids I'm just throwing this out there that when your kids see you do something funny or fun or teach them a lesson or read them a certain book, you could just say to them, you know, you're looking at your grandmother right now, mm -hmm. or, you know, this is the mother I had or whatever it is that you can do to pay that forward. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. It's funny. Whenever I dance with my daughter, I do, we do like fun dances and I always think of my mom because my mom, um, always, we always used to call her the Elaine, Elaine Bennis dancer because <laughs> she looked a lot like Elaine from Seinfeld. Oh, 
Oh, oh, I love that dance. <laughs> my favorite chip. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I just always think of my mom and I always say, I used to dance with my mom like this. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, on that note, that's a happy note. <laughs> and I think that's the note we could end on. So Sarah Kuhn, I'd, I'd like to thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And that's it this week for Our Mothers Ourselves. Our theme music was composed and performed by Andrea Perry. Paula Mangin is our artist in residence. Our associate producer is Sophie McNulty. And Alice Hudson is the show's producer. Please visit us at ourmothersourselves.com and contribute the one word that best describes your mother to the site's mother word cloud. That's ourmothersourselves.com. Our Mothers Ourselves is a production of Odredex Studios in San Francisco, and I'm your host, Katie Hafner. Stay safe, everyone. You know, I know, you know just what to do.